0: Alright, so what I want you to do, so if you've got a Bible, we're in Ephesians, we've been in Ephesians, um, this is uh, part three of our continuation of this series, part seven if you've been with us the whole time. And uh, go ahead and stand, I want to I read to you a few verses, these are the verses we're going to be hitting, the second part of chapter four this morning, and then we'll jump into what God has for us from his word today. So let me read this to you and you can follow along. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, and to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those that hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as as, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We love your word. It's to us, it's for us. God, and we thank you again, um, how you sent your son Jesus for us, to give us new life. Thank you uh, for the rebirth that we talked about this morning, God. Thank you for new life. Thank you for a new name. In your mighty name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So... So stepping into co-leadership at, at Destiny with my wife Deanna has been pretty amazing. I, I just, I, I, I don't know if it's just, you know, the honeymoon period or what, but Deanna and I have just been having a blast. We love you guys, and I, and, I, and I mean, you know, so Brett and Tiana, pastors Brett and Tiana had this apostolic, you know, vision and launch and passion and prophetic vision and insight to build a church like Destiny that we all love. I mean, and there, there's a lot to love about Destiny, right? Right. And, and, I, and, and their handprint is all over it, and I love it. So getting to just continue to step into that, um, you know, what God puts so deeply in their hearts is such a big honor and a blessing to Deanna and I. And um, you guys are such a huge blessing to us as well. We love destiny. So, but, I, but I have something to tell you. I have something to tell you. Don't tell anyone, but there have been a couple times since we started here that we've been rolling along and I've completely reverted back and I kind of forget that I'm leading this thing. <laughs> For instance, you know, somebody will ask me a question that is a question that they would ask of a senior pastor and a couple times now I was this close to just pointing them to Brett and <laughs> And so maybe, maybe the funniest occurrence of this, I was at a training a few weeks ago where they asked the senior pastors to go in one direction and I had been kind of sitting with this next gen group because I'm, you know, I, I love these guys. I've been hanging out. I was, I was sitting with the echoes, and so without hesitation, I immediately get up and I start going the opposite direction where they were sending all the support staff and pastors and the, you know. So I I got up and as I was and as I was going over there, one of the other senior pastors kind of tapped me on the shoulder and he says, "You're not getting it out of it this, this easy, Sean." <laughs> and he pulled me around, turned me around and redirected me to the corner, which I was rightly. Blown so it was embarrassingly funny enough that I was kind of in tears laughing at it uh, for a bit so but why tell you that for this purpose if you've been around for the series we've talked about this already if you have a new identity what comes along with it is what a new activity a new title for me a new direction I got to get going in the right direction. So it does not matter what everybody else in my perceived peer group. It doesn't matter where they're going. The founding pastors of this place chose to give Deanna and I a new identity. And thus, I need to walk in that new activity, right? And so do you see that? Do you see that picture? So new identity, new activity, a new direction. And so that's where we are in Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, The first three chapters were all about the new identity that we've been given. And God, not because of anything that you've done, not because you earned it, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to find us. You know, where there were mountains in the way, he climbed over him. You know, where there were walls in the way, he kicked them down. And so the reckless love that we love to sing about of God chasing after us to forgive us and adopt us and to to bring us into his family and make us a family together, to give us a new name, cleansing us of our past and giving us a new future. That's what God is doing in Jesus. And then right here in the middle of the book of Ephesians, he flips and he says, now in light of that new identity, have a new activity. Now that you're something new, be something new. So if you were single and you got married, live as a husband. To earn being a husband? No, because you are, right? You take on a new identity and you take on a new activity that goes along with it. And that means there's an old way of living that I put behind me. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter how many people are on that path. So there was a trajectory that I was on that was not life, but then the hand of God touched me and he gave me a new life and a new direction and that's where we are, okay? So there was an old way to move, there was an interruption, and now there's a new way, all right? So that's what Paul is talking about verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. It's like he's singing, it. he's testifying. <laughs> he's declaring, he's getting out his hanky. You, you need to know this in the Lord. And he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So walking is a good metaphor for life because when you're walking down a path, what is it? On your notes, little steps lead a direction to a destination, right? When you're walking, it's, it's what you do on a path. Little steps lead a direction to a destination. He says, that's life. Little decisions take you down towards a destiny. And he says, you used to take steps in one direction That was leading to an ultimate end and you're no longer gonna do that. He says no longer because you used to do that. That this used to be your path but you are no longer on that path. And he says it's the path for the Gentiles. What does that mean? Gentiles translates the word ethnos. Uh, We've talked about that before. It's where we get the word ethnic and it's not saying that this is a racial thing. He's saying it shorthand. Back then it was everyone who is not a Jew. So you say, you know, why were they called Gentile? There was this shorthand way of the Jews saying, everybody from every nation who doesn't know God. And so because uh, back in the Old Testament, in the Jewish people, you know, God uh, God came to them to give his law and and gave his word to them and he introduced himself to them. And so they look around at the rest of the world and they looked around at, at most all of us and said, you know, these are the people that don't know him. And so Paul says there's a whole community of people that don't know God. And you used to walk like them. You don't do that anymore because their walk, it says, is in the futility of their mind. So what does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they're dumb. <laughs> mind here, the word mind here is the idea of mindset. It's, it's a disposition, he says. When you were on this path, your mindset was futile. Futile means unable to hit its intended goal. So if something is futile, it's not going to reach the purpose that intended. And he says, the problem with the path is that you and I are made to know God. You and I are made to love God. So what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart and your soul and your mind. And he said, you used to be on a path where you weren't thinking that way. You weren't thinking about how to love God. And you weren't even thinking about what God preferred, right? And so your mindset was not about God. So you were never going to be the kind of man or woman you're meant to be. And you're thinking, this is just futile. Why? Because you're darkened, it says in the scripture, you're darkened in your understanding. You just didn't have the information, right? You didn't have an understanding of what it was about. So we were making life decisions, career decisions, romantic decisions without talking to God or without taking him into account because your perception was skewed. Why? Because, again, in the scripture, it says you were alienated from the life of God. So the the beating heart of God coursing in your veins wasn't happening yet. And you didn't have his life connected to you. So it's like the fruit connected to the vine. You didn't know him yet. So he said you're alienated from life of God because of the ignorance, basically, that lies in you. And again, it doesn't mean stupid. Ignorance literally means no knowledge. You, had, you didn't have that information. No information on Gnosis. It says you don't know him. So he says the reason why your life's not becoming what it is ultimately meant to be is because at the end of the day, you don't know the author of life. You don't know him. And so you're not walking in his ways because you just don't have him. But then he says something interesting. It's that lack of information and that lack of information was due to, he says, the hardness of heart. So why are there so many people not walking in intimacy with God? It's not a lack of information. It's a lack of inclination. The reason I'm not walking with God is not because of a lack of data. It's because maybe it's a lack of desire. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's this. I, I don't want to know what he wants from my life because I want to do what I want to do. Right? and you see that it's, it's the ignorance as a, and as a result of a hardness. Hardness of heart leads to a darkness of mind. Hardness of heart leads to a darkness of mind. So it's interesting, um, Thomas Nagel's an atheist and he wrote a book titled The Last Word. And it's interesting in that he talks about his own experience with being someone who doesn't believe that there's a God, but he says something really interesting about his atheism. He says, I want atheism to be true. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God and I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. He's being honest, right? I kind of appreciate his honesty there. He isn't just saying, well, intellectually, I've come to this decision. He was like, I'm using my mind, but at the end of the day, if I'm honest, I don't want there to be a God. I'm rooting against him. So he's kind of quoting Ephesians there, right? He's saying, I don't know him. Why? Because I don't want to know him. There's, there's a hardness of heart. I, don't want, I have no interest. And so some of you have been around here since I was serving as a youth pastor. You remember my friend Dave. I've talked about him a few times even since I've been back. He's since passed away. But if you haven't heard this story, he was an alcoholic um, who would come around to the office several times a week, and he would... He would um, he would use colorful words loudly, and he would, he would usually carry this, the smell of liquor with him, and he'd share stories about how he had been burned by the church, and how he felt his life had kind of spiraled, and how he was good for nothing. And he would come, and I would kind of take him out on the, on the front step so he wasn't in the office kind of, you know, being his loud self. And he had his dog, Fida, and we would sit out there. And for whatever reason, God really softened my heart for Dave, and we became quick friends. And he would share stories about how he used to go to church and even serve in the church when he was younger. But then he experienced some deep loss. And in that loss, he found himself lost in addiction and loneliness. That's when he started drinking. And what's interesting. Is that he started? Is that he talked with fondness about the church when he when he talked about you know those old days when he was younger? But he also harbored this hate for the church for betraying him when he needed rescue, and so it was kind of that vitriol that would go back and forth. And I, I would you know try to quote scriptures to him, and and he would say, well I know I know I know, and 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 he would say things like this. This is this it, it just broke my this this is kind of what broke my heart for him. He said, I know that if I think about it long enough. I know the way I'm living is not right so I just don't think about it, I drink about it. Yeah. And just the thought, just that thought, I, that was one of the most honest things I heard from anybody and, and, and he would say if I really pause long enough, you know, to analyze my life I know I'm not in the right place so I just choose not to think about it. It's not a lack of information. It's a lack of leaning into, it's it's the inclination, right? And so do you see it in our world? I mean, you know, 2016, the people who tried heroin for the first time doubles the number of people who tried heroin for the first time in uh, 2006, in 10 years. Do you think it's because we lack good information about the dangers of heroin and drug use? Sexually transmitted diseases are at a high point in American history. Do you think we lack information about some of the decisions that we're making, you know, that we know are damaging? But we do them anyway. And why? Because we want to, right? Because the world wants to. And so what's fascinating about that is you look at this and there's a danger to it. Verse 19 says, Having become callous, they've given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. One translation says... Having lost sensitivity and given up to sensuality. Once you get to the place where you go, I don't really want to know what God thinks, what's the rest of life about? It's about, it's about doing things that make me happy, right? For, for many, that means doing things that feel good. And as I go on this path to feel good, it's interesting that the, those things never seem to stay the same, right? It's not like I choose, I choose to not believe in God. It's just, I don't want to walk with God. And all of life tends to have this drift of this momentum down a path. It's, remember, it's little steps, not big steps that lead us to those places. It's not, I don't believe in God, so I'm gonna live a life of crime forever. It's not like that. Is it? It's usually, I don't believe in God, and then what happens? The flow of humanity is is a movement towards sensuality, it says here in Scripture. And as we do that, he says, it's ever-increasing, and it becomes impure. It soils us. Johnny Cash, he grew up in the church, but his music career blew up. And so he went out, and he was doing the tour, and he was loving it. And what happened to him? He started partying with everybody. You know, it's like if Elvis is telling you to party with him, Johnny's response was, yes, sir, he's the king, right? He's going to go party with Elvis. And so he's partying with everybody, and he says, this is what he says in his own biography. He says, man, you start by drinking that bottle, but the next thing you know, you look up, and now the bottle is drinking you. And he said, as I was partying hard I was partying hard because it was fun, drinking drugs and doing it all. And after a while, I realized what I thought was going to be life-enhancing started taking life from me, it started pulling it out of me. And he said, I saw that these little steps were leading me on a path, and that path was not giving me the life I thought it was, it was actually stealing life. And I'm thinking my career is taking away relationships, and it was taking away my health. And he said, I started with that identity and I started with a propensity to move in little steps in that direction. It led me to a place that I didn't want to go. There's another fascinating story. I saw this covered uh, in a few um, articles uh, on, on pastor's blogs. Chris Rock has a new comedy show on Netflix that I can't quote at all here in the sermon. So I'll give you the gist there have been lots of people talking about this because this is what he was saying. This is, this is, current, this is, this is what he's saying as a, as a public as a celebrity. He said, I started getting famous, and I was married, but I'm, I'm out there, and girls are coming this way and that, and so I'm flirting with girls, and I just came to a place where I thought, I'll do whatever I want. I'm Chris Rock, right? And so, so he said, I would just hang out with the girls, whatever I like, then I started sleeping around. But I'm like, my wife's not going to do anything because I'm Chris Rock. And then he said, "I started getting into pornography." And he said, "Something really weird happened." He said, "I got into pornography, and porn doesn't stay in the same place. It releases adrenaline and, and dopamine, but it's a thrill addiction. And so to get to that same sense of thrill, you start, you start to get a tolerance. And so it's like alcohol, it's like drugs. You start to build up a tolerance and so to get the same thrill, you have to do more to get the same thrill. And so you got to do more. And he said, I got to a place down the road where I started looking at things I never would have thought that I would be looking at. And then simple things like intimacy with my wife. Uh, she wasn't able to arouse me uh, because I lost sensitivity. When I gave up my, sens- my sensuality is basically what he's saying. He didn't say it that way, but he was quoting Ephesians, wasn't he? We all know what that's like. You, you, it's, it's, you, don't, you, you don't get a little power like, you know, I became president of the Glee Club in high school. And then, and then, then that was the peak. That was the pinnacle. And then, then it stopped. No, as soon as you get there, you're like, what will I be president of next? Right? My college, this business, the globe. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And, and so we tend to go into progress of I want more and I want more. But, but for many of us, we know what this is like. As you journey down the road, it starts to take more than it gives. And you start to get to a place where you say, I don't want to be here anymore. So the humanistic pursuit of happiness in the long run does not lead to happiness. Augustine was one of the great figures of Christian history, Christian History Magazine. Named him the most important follower of Jesus. I didn't know you could do that, but I'm a, you know, something we could all, you know, hope to achieve someday. And I know you've all been reading that in Christian History Magazine. I didn't need to tell you. <laughs> Just reminding you. <laughs> Anyhow, um, he grew up in North Africa. He received a good education, and his parents wanted him to be great, and he was great at speaking. That was his thing. And so back then, you could make a lot of money on the speaking circuit. And so he realized. Man, that was all my parents poured in their energy into, was was this thing. And he said something interesting about his young life. This is what he said. As they began to do that, my parents, they were pouring into me in my 16th year, the brambles of lust grew high above my head, and there was no one to root them out. What a beautiful way to say he got hooked on sex, is really what he's saying there. And this was when he was 16 years old. And so the brambles of lust grew, and what does that mean? So, well, it means, he was sleeping around. And his mom, this is what his mom told him. Just please don't seduce married women. And he said, I dismissed that as womanish womanish advice. And I'm not going to defend him for saying that, by the way. (laughs) I don't think that was so smart, actually. I'm just saying what he said. He dismissed it as womanish advice. And then he moved to Carthage and he said it was a seething cauldron of lust. And he said, I'm going to run this town. And he was great in his oratory skill and he went to the top of his class and he became famous. And he was drinking in all that fame and all that power. And he was sleeping around like crazy with all kinds of different women. And, and so he ended up getting this lady pregnant and that scared him. So we ditched her and the kid and he kept on moving. And he realized, man, Carthage is great, but the real action is in Rome. So he goes to Rome. He was in Rome pursuing the same kind of life, pursuing the same thing. But as he did it, he went to hear a guy speak because he heard, hey, in Rome, Andros is the guy. He's, he's the guy that, you know, he's, he's the best speaker that's out there is what people were saying. And he was like, say what? They just haven't met me yet, right? That's, so he's, he's coming into this new town. And he went to go hear Ambrose. And Ambrose was a preacher of Jesus. And he started hearing this guy talk about God. And he realized, I've been using the gifts that God gave me to elevate me. But this guy has this beauty to what he's saying. My message terminates on me, but this guy is doing something else. And it began to pierce his heart. Maybe the way I'm living isn't right. And so then he found out that his former favorite speaker, like the one that he would you know, talk about and had the baseball cards for, you know, that person had put his faith in Jesus. And he was like, what? You know, what, what is going on? And then he found out that back in Africa, there was this guy named Anthony that didn't have an education. He was poor and he was in the desert, but he was changing the continent because of this humble faith that he had in this powerful God. And so he looked at his friend and he said, I've got money, I've got fame, but I cannot control my own desires. And I am not making a difference in the world. And here, these guys are shaping the globe with less than what I have. And so he started to wake up and realize, I've been darkened in my understanding. Right? Where's my life going? I've been pursuing power, fame, and money, and it's gotten me nowhere. So he ran into the garden, and it says that he began to clutch his hair and hug his knees because he realized, this life that I'm living isn't working. So he started to pray how he knew how he knew to, and he said, God, you got to help me. And he tells a story in the book that he wrote about his own life. It's a book called Confessions. And he said, while I was praying, I heard a little girl's voice start to sing. Take up and read, take up and read. And he says, I think this is kind of funny. I inquired in my mind, and I could not remember a children's game where they would sing to us. And so I went to look. What is she talking about? And he said, I don't know, but the book that I had sitting next to me was the Bible. And so he said, I just grabbed it, and I do what maybe a lot of you guys do when, you, when you're in this situation. He flipped it open, and <laughs> this is where it went. He put his finger on the page. This is what he read. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. This is from Paul's writings. Rather arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. And he said, that was it for me. I realized God had called me on a new path. God had called me not to be a user of people, but a lover of people. Not someone trying to climb on others to elevate me, but someone who has to get under others to elevate them rather than to be a sucker of humanity. I'm going to be a fountain for humanity. And there's a great story of when he came back home after this transformation and one of his former lovers came up to him and she said, "Augustine, it is I. And he said, yes, but it is no longer I. I'm somebody different. God has touched me. Not because I deserved it, but because that's what God does. And I was going one way, and it was leading me to a particular end. Now, am I saying that everybody in here that doesn't believe in Jesus is a horrible human being? No, I'm not saying that. The image of God is alive in everybody. There's something beautiful about all of us. And so you you may not be all the way down the path yet, but you need to look at your decisions and say, where's my life going? What am I building it on? Is it a corrupting thing, like he said? Is it a decaying or are the decisions I'm making stealing life for me? Or are they creating, being made into something new? That's what happened to Augustine. And so it says in verse 20, that's not the way that you learn Christ, exclamation point, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, which is funny because Paul's the one who taught them. So he's being a little sarcastic there. He's the one who taught them for three years. So he's using a little... Bible dad humor there. But then he says in verse 22, put off the old self. You've got to shift now. There was an old way which belongs to your former manner of life. Take off that way that you used to live that is, as the scripture says, corrupt through deceitful desires. The things that you were pursuing may even have been good, but the way that you're pursuing them was off and it's corrupting you. It was stealing from you sex is good but if out of God's plan for it if it's done the wrong way it hurts you it doesn't give life power and influence is good but when you pursue it in the wrong way man it'll steal from you and not give to you right and so he says don't do it there was a corrupting way to pursue your desires but now put on the new self created after the likeness of God True righteousness and holiness. I was walking in corruption, but then I was created. Jesus came to me. And when that happened, I'm taking off the old me and I'm putting on the new. There was a a great story I heard a pastor friend tell about a guy who was an alcoholic and this guy had gotten to the point where he was drinking so much that there was no money left for his family. You know, no food, no furniture, no anything, that his family was basically in starvation because of his out-of-control addiction. And someone came up to this guy, not to judge him and not to shame him, but to tell him about Jesus and he put his faith in Christ. And it began to change his life. And he, and he had a friend come to him after his transformation. And as he was seeing the changes in his life, and this is what he said, man, I want to believe all that stuff, but I don't know. You know, Jesus turned water into wine. You know, he, he walked on water. You believe all that stuff? And the guy responded, and he said, you know, I just know this. In my life, Jesus turned beer into furniture. Laughter I know that when he got a hold of me, things changed. And the way that I made decisions changed, and the way that I used money changed, because I'm changed. And so there was an old self, and it was corrupting, but I took it off, and there's a new self in my putting that on, and I'm walking in righteousness and life now. So do you see that? <laughs> the early church had a great way to do this. I absolutely love this. When you put your faith in Jesus, they would have a baptism ceremony. And I love the way they did this. They would go to some water, like a big body of water, and, and you would stand on, the, on one side in your old clothes. And, and then, you know, when, when the time was given, you would strip off your old outer garment and you had this kind of inner garment still on, so don't worry, but you would take off the old outer garment and you would drop it. And then you would turn away from the water you, and you would say, I renounce you, Satan, and all of your pomp and all of your, you know, vanity. And, and then you would turn, and then you would walk into the water, and you would say into your old life, you're gone. And so when you walked into the water, the image that they had in their mind is when Jesus was baptized. So, you know, when Jesus was baptized, remember, Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Then there was a the voice from the Heavenly Father, and he was saying, that's my son, and I'm well pleased, Right? And they, they, they pictured walking in the water as that. You know, I'm standing here and the Son of God is with me and Holy Spirit's coming to live with me. And the Father is calling me as dear child. And as I enter into the water, I've been renewed in my mind and I've been made something new. And so then you walk out of the water and on the other side, they put a new robe on you. They put on a new robe, a bright, clean one, and then your whole family's there, and they're like cheering, and there's this massive after party. Boom, boom, boom. And, you know, it sounds pretty awesome, am I right? And, and, and so what a great way to do that. They, they wanted to represent stripping off the old way and stepping into the new way, the new way that I'm putting on. Take off the old garment and put on a new one. So when I was single, again... I lived as a single and acted as a single person, right? When I married Deanna, I better not live like a single person. I no longer do the things that I do as a single person did. I do not date or court other women or that would get me in trouble. I don't do those kind of things. I have a new identity which comes with a new activity. I'm not saying singleness is evil, by the way. (laughs) I'm just using an illustration. So let's move on. So he says, I've got a new position. I've got a new practice. I had an old way and an old path and now I have a new identity and a new activity. I begin to walk in this. Not to earn God's approval but because I have it. They see that and so he begins to walk through. So there's a new way that we live as believers. So many of us We've been trapped by addictions, right? Sexual addictions, alcoholism, um, drug abuse. And for many people, you know, it might not be things that we think of as, you know, severe like that. But you just realize I'm addicted to the approval of other people. You know, and I I have to get this thing to give me life. And then we realize it's taking from me. It's not giving to me. And what's happened to many of us in that place is that we realize not only do I have to stop doing certain things, it's, it's that I can't drive to the places that I used to drive to because it triggers me to want to go down that certain road. But, you know, I know where it leads and I don't want to go there. And so there's some things I have to stop doing. But it isn't just that I don't do those things and I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, don't think about that. Don't go there. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Don't text her. Don't go there. You don't do that. What you realize to really recover, you don't just think about all the stuff that you don't do. You start to replace it with new activities. And so I'm, I'm going to go to some meetings. I'm going to share my story with people. I'm going to go listen to other people's stories. And it gives me strength and it gives me hope. And I'm going to serve others. I'm going I'm to see other people who are not as far along the journey. And I'm going to help them, you know, and understand them and care about them. So you not only get rid of that old activity, you take on a new one. And that's what recovery looks like. Do you see that? And so that's what Paul's saying to us is you take on a new identity and a new activity. And then he gives us a bunch of ways as an us to walk together in a new way. God's creating a new family. And we treat each other very differently because he's touched us. So we deal with each other in a very different way. And he goes, goes to all these different sentences of what, what not to do and what to do and why. So he says in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He said, you used to lie to cover for yourself, right? Lie to make excuses. But when you lie to people, you hold the truth back from them. And so, but if they knew the truth, it would enable them to make decisions that would help them, right? So when you lie to people, you're actually doing something very cruel to them, right? If somebody's teeth are a mess and they come up to you and say, how do you look? And you're like, you are good. (laughs) It's not going to help them. I'm not helping. They have spinach in their teeth or whatever. You look great. Go out there and rock it. I have hurt their ability to thrive, right? <laughs> I, I remember a kid in my high school class that had terrible BO, terrible body odor. It was memorable. And we, we, would just, we just ruled out you know, that he didn't bathe. And, and the kids in my class did what most people would do. You, you smell it and you recoil and then you whisper about it to everybody else. You know, and I remember that for a year or two, kids would talk, you know, oh my Lord, he smells so bad. It's like, you can see the vapors. You know, I mean, it was <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? Until finally, there was one person in the community that went to them. And if I remember right, it was our speech class teacher. And she came up to him and she said, you know, let's buy some deodorant and, and tell me a bit about your routine during the day. I mean, you know, tell me a little bit about your lifestyle. And I can remember it so vividly because everybody in the class was like, oh, you know, she was talking about it. And we had just been making fun of it for so long. It just, it, you know, I don't know, probably I, as much of the story, I don't know as much of the story as a teacher, but I can remember the, the, the feeling in the classroom that day because she started talking to him about the stuff, right? And so this teacher told him the truth. We've got to work on your smell, you know, because it's costing you socially, and so she helped him figure out how to clean up and get his stuff together in that way. And I wasn't in those conversations. But I can remember, um, I can remember that guy's countenance changing. I, and, uh, you know, I, I wish I would have been the guy that had done that. But I, I wasn't. I, I just kind of, I didn't say anything. And, you know, so let me ask you this question. Who loved him? The ones that said, you know, I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I, don't, I just don't want to say anything. So I'm just going to kind of let it go. You know, that wasn't about my feelings when I didn't say anything, was it? I mean, it wasn't about his feelings, it was about my feelings, is what it was. And so, I'd like to say that I told him the truth, but I didn't, which was all about me, right? And my comfort. My classmates were no friend to him by not saying anything. That's not loving. So when I take on a new life, I don't deceive people anymore. Now, does that mean I just bring unfiltered truth and I'm like, oh, you look weird today. (laughs) You, You smell terrible (laughs) you know what's going on with your hair it's atrocious (laughs) no but we speak the truth in love that was last week right you find a redemptive arc to those truthful words find a way to say it that helps people and look at the reason why it says for we are members one of another because we're here to help with each other we're here to help each other get better because we're here for us we're here for us Why? Because like it or not, he put us in a family. So we help each other, right? There's this commentary that says it this way. If the eye sees a serpent, does it lie to the foot? If a nose smells a deadly drug, does it lie to the mouth? If a tongue tastes bitterness, does it lie to the stomach? No. Why? Because it's invested, right? If if the eye sees a snake, it doesn't say, well, I'm not going to tell the foot because I don't think much about the foot. No, because I realize that if the foot steps on a snake, it's going to hurt all of us, right? And so it's the same with the people of Jesus. If there are people who know Jesus and they're making decisions that are hurting us, we are urged to help them out because it's going to cost all of us. And too many of us have been hurt in our witness to Jesus because people who claim his name don't act like him. And so what are we gonna do? We're gonna whisper about them? Or tweet about them? Or do we go in love and say, Let me show you a different way? Verse 26 says this, be angry and do not sin. I wonder if we even need to talk about that one, right? It's like not even relevant. <laughs> it's interesting that there's a right way to be angry, right? That there are actually appropriate times to be frustrated, to have an indignation about something. You know, something outside of you will happen and it's beyond your control and it will produce this emotional response that's beyond your control. You know, I saw that and then it just kind of kickstarted this in me, right? But what I do have under my control is how I respond and what I do. And Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. So literally, it's the word for miss the mark. So like an arrow shot at a target that you don't hit. So Paul's saying, don't miss the mark when you get angry. Don't miss the mark when you get angry. So your arrow, your target is to love God and to love people. But when you get angry, don't abandon your purpose of loving people in your anger. But we want to, right? When we want our anger to hurt people sometimes. That's how I gauge when I'm frustrated with somebody. If I confront them, what's my goal? Is it my aim to just win? show them that they're wrong is that a redemptive path <laughs> or am I I'm going to them because I want to reconcile because you know I want to put things back together and some of us are like this you know you get frustrated with somebody and you go you know I'm, not, I'm just not gonna say anything and stuffing doesn't work either so be honest um, he says here what's the right thing to do don't let the Sun go down on your anger right so what's the wrong thing to do sin lash out profanities to people. You know, what's, what's the right thing to do? Resolve quickly. Because we know what it's like when you let anger fester. When somebody says something at work and you're like, I do not like that. <laughs> right? And you're thinking it to yourself, and on the ride home, you start to imagine what you would have said, what you could have said, right? And you know, you're the one that's stupid, you know? <laughs> and you then you lay in bed, and then you envision the best lines to say, and you're saying it with a crowd around you, and everybody's like, oh, you're so smart, Sean, and he's so bad. And you're like, right? And then, and then the other person is like, no! <laughs> and you just blast them, and you think, I... One. That's so sick. What's wrong with you people? Um, <laughs> now, now we all have that inclination, but if you let that anger grow, what happens? Continue reading in the scripture it says you give an opportunity to the devil. It's fascinating. I don't think I'm am I'm, I'm very good at. Um, being a relationship counselor, but it happens because I've been a pastor and I've had to be in that spot. You know, so married couples have come to me for counseling and, and what generally happens is that one of them will present an issue. And he will say, you know, well, she never listens to me. And she'll say, well, he's never here. And you know, she never does this. And, and they go through that. And, and, but if you can get them to calm down for a second, you can sometimes pinpoint when it started going wrong. Like year one, a lot of times, it's usually something that's so petty and so small, you know, she did something and I thought that she did it because she, you know, she thought that I was this. And I said to myself, oh, it's no big deal, but I kind of just it inside. And then every time she did something like that, I would think, she, she always thinks that about me. And then what happens somewhere down the road? A little crack becomes a crevice. Little grains of sand, you know, of irritants become a desert between the two. And that happens And so Paul looks at this and says, if you're frustrated with somebody, let me give you some advice. Solve it quickly. Don't let it take you down a path where you're a divider of the community. There's a corrupting path and a creating path. And when your anger comes, you have the opportunity to either be a destructive element or a life-giving element. Conflict can actually be a doorway into deeper community if we do it right. And so he says, man, when you deal with your anger, deal with it in a healthy way. Some advice I heard about marriage from a good counselor <laughs> it was pray before you go to sleep. If you have, if you have issues with anger with your spouse, pray with, pray with them before you go to sleep every night with your spouse because if there's an irritant between you, you usually can't pray together then because this is what will happen if you try to do it with anger. You'll say, let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would spite my wife. <laughs> that you would smite her down and you would just sort of convict her of the evil that's in her, right? <laughs> and, and you realize, hey, you know, when I do that, when I, I, I can't let the sun go down on my anger, right? So it's just an easy way to pray together because then you realize if there's something in your heart, you're probably gonna need to talk about it. And so it might make for some sleepless nights, but it'll also make for some peaceful ones, right? And so we need, we need to seek peace as a community, church. You know, so I love verse 28, it says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing an honest work for his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone need. I was living a selfish life, but then Jesus gave all to me. I, I live in others-centered life, and I was walking in a corrupting path, now let's walk in the creating path. You know, I used to steal, but I love it. He doesn't just say, I used to steal and now I stopped. He says, I used to steal and now I work. And it's not just work, I, it says I work so I can give. So that's what we're meant to be. We walk in a neighborhood and we don't just find a way to eke our existence out. You know, I'm here to use this city. I'm here to use these people to elevate me. I've got career goals and I'm going to go after them. I come in here and say, how can I serve? How can I give? How can I elevate the community? And I want to be part of that kind of a church. And so it says to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. I love that. It's not just your hands, but your mouth. The way that you use your mouth. Is it a corrupting influence or creating one? Is it a one that is stealing life from this community or is it one that's giving life to the community? Does it give grace or does it tear down? My, 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 my mom used to say this all the time speak life, right? Be a life giver. Am I going to serve with my hands here? i Am going to serve with my mouth here? I'm going to be kind. I remember for me, right when I started ministry, I came out of college. And for me, sarcasm was the language of the day. That's just how you communicated. Um, and someone would say something and you would find a way to make fun of it, right? Or they would walk into a room and you'd find a way to make fun of it. And that's, that's just sort of how we communicate in college. And it's, it's like communication 101, at least when I was there. And so when Deanna and I took over our home church's youth ministry, I would, I would say the dumbest things. I, I, to our students and I, I was making light of things thinking I was so funny, but then what I was seeing was that kids were starting to close off. And, and so these kids weren't getting my humor, that my humor in it, but, but what they knew was the pastor's making fun of me and he's laughing about it. And, and so, you know, I realized I was, I was doing that because I thought I was funny and I wanted other people to see how funny I was, but the cost of it is I wasn't pastoring those kids. And I thought, you know, I have a choice. Every time I enter a circle of people, I can say words that give life or I can say words that steal it. And I want to say words that give life. The last verses, verse 31 says, All bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ forgave you. Is that a normal way to live? No. Normally when someone hurts you, you hurt them back, right? That's our flesh. Someone says something about you, you say something back. When it's hot, you complain about how hot it is. When it's cold, you complain about how cold it is, right? When something's not perfect, you complain about its imperfection. And so that's a normal thing to do. But if we be, can be a community that says, the guy who runs this place put his hands on me, so I'm going to walk out in a different way. I'm going to go a different way. It's challenging, but try it next time. You enter into your social sphere, not to say anything negative, and it'll be hard because it's the language of our culture to complain, right? How's the weekend? Uh, you know, I'm still tired, man. I can't wait to get out of here. And, and so you don't have to lie if you had a hard weekend. You know, it's all butterflies and flowers and la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to be positive without being weird. But try. Because when people see it, it's a beautiful thing. Brett, you can come on up. I just want to share this last story. Watch him in knee. He, he was a past He's a pastor in China. He tells about one parishioner he had that owns this rice field. And rice fields, you know, you have to flood, put water in them. And he said, there's this guy on the mountain on, on, on the other side of, of, of the, the, the field, you know, another level down. And he keeps breaking the barrier of mine so all of my water floods into his field. So he's stealing my water. So what's the natural response? Let bitterness become wrath and clamor and slander and, and anger rise up, right? It comes up with me. So what you do is you march down that field and you get a hit in early. <laughs> And you say, whose water is it? Say my name. (laughs) Right? But this guy had been touched by Jesus. And so Watchman, his pastor asked him, so what did you do? And he said, I'm gonna do the most natural thing for a follower of Jesus to do. Pump enough water for the two of us. Because it's kindness that leads to repentance. It's Jesus' love for us that changed us. And so it's our love for others that'll change Rapid City. I'm not interested in walking you know, into any place and wagging my finger at anybody. I'm interested in opening our hands to people and showing them a better way. God forgave me, he can forgive you. God loved me, he can love you. God touched me, so I have a new way of living. You can have that, too. Is that true of you? Because if it's true of us, I tell you what, we're going to have to get serious about getting into that building over there. Come on. We're going to need a bigger space. You know why? Because when people see that, a life that has been just inexplicably changed it's been changed and rearranged, they want that Jesus can change beer into furniture it's just how it happens changed lives change people and when your life gets changed it'll change those around you amen out with the old in with the new Let's pray. God, only you can rearrange our hearts. God, we think we have a good plan for our lives. God, we can plan and purpose all that we want, but your plan is so much better. God, we can set out on a path and try to build a platform, a future that's for us, for our own desires. God, but we want to step into your plans, your purpose. God, you give us a new name, a new identity, a new future. You put that new robe on us, God. And we're not walking the way that we used to. Where we used to seek what we thought was best for our lives. God, now our purpose is redirected to seek what you think is best for our lives. God, help us to walk in that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, Pastor Sean, yeah, my life needs a redirection. My life life needs a change. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus can give you a new life. And so we don't want to embarrass anybody, but with nobody looking around, if that's you and you just simply want to say that this morning, I want to ask Jesus to come into my life and redirect. He's the chain breaker. He's a life giver. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody in this place this morning? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand. Church, let's just pray this prayer together. Would you repeat after me? Father God, I give you my heart. In my heart. All of me. All of me. I surrender it to you. I surrender to you. There is an old way. There's an old way. But I choose to walk in your way. I choose to walk in your way. Redirect my path. My path. I follow you. And I follow you. In your name we pray. Name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. amen. Praise God.